Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay. 
<laughs> I'm sure our guest is just like saying Alumbamsha is just saying us. No, eh? <laughs> oh, Roger, the gentleman, the gentleman we'll be talking to today, I have known him for many years. This is one thing about our country. I'll tell you this. Our country has got brilliant minds, has got brilliant leaders. Yes, it does. But you see, it's it's this Kadarism type of politics that makes people not be afraid, but I think fear for their families in particular. I'll let Mr. Tsengalumbo respond to some of these things. Mr. Grant Tsengalumbo is the president of the United Front for a Strong Foundation. He is known for his civil activism, and uh, he, he's, he's, he's addressed and done a lot of things to do with human rights, democracy, governance, and social justice. So we're very honored to have Mr. Tsengalumbe today joining us from the city of Lusaka. Good afternoon, Brian. Welcome. Ah, thank you, Nathan. And uh, I, might, I should say good morning to you, although it's afternoon here. Yes. <laughs> the amazing world of the globe, the way it is, it is designed. Uh, Mr. Tsengalumbe, I believe... And even my few exchange, and even my colleagues here who have called in will tell you this, and I'm sure you'll agree with this notion. Africa, All this right. COVID thing is sort of like just coming into Africa, which has literally brought nations like Italy to its knees and other so-called developed countries, which have got strong economies, established uh, healthcare systems. In your view, uh, how has the Zambian government responded to this? What are you seeing? Um, we, the first problem we have is that uh, the approach the government has taken is not multi-sexual. Uh, the information flow mm-hmm. is from top down, meaning we are only getting information from government. There is no information coming in from uh, the various sectors that are affected. And as such, uh, you would be watching news, for instance, for a whole hour, and uh, all, all you're watching are gov- government officials uh, praising the president or receiving donations from business houses and uh, some churches, uh, which basically means that the, generally the people have no information. And when you don't have information, it means that you are not able to prepare yourself or to respond or to take comparisons with uh, what your neighbors are doing or what's happening to your neighbors, what's happening to the elderly, what's happening to the children, uh, and things like that. So Mm. we are basically starved of information. And uh, without information, it means they're not going to be well prepared to to sort of uh, make adjustments because human beings make adjustments on comparative terms. So if you were to even, the question you asked me, to say uh, how prepared is the Zambian government, the Zambian situation, you'd have to take a comparative uh, uh, analysis and say what's happening in other African countries. So we go to to, to, to South Africa, for instance. You are seeing an engagement of all stakeholders, a multi-sector approach. You go to um, uh, uh, Rwanda, 
you're seeing a similar situation where the main focus are the people. The main focus mm-hmm. is not COVID. COVID is the enemy, but your focus and all your activities are targeted towards the well-being of the people. Now, here, the focus is on COVID itself. And the, basically, I say that in that it, it, it's like it's been politicized to an extent that the whole uh, COVID fight is like mm. political campaign. Yeah, we are hearing the story only from one side. If you look at the Ghanaian situation, you see a balanced approach where there is consideration of business interests, community interests, sports, arts, and the various sectors. And you can see the genuineness of the leadership and how they are approaching it, that the people are the main focus. COVID is the problem. COVID is the mm-hmm. enemy. But your focus is to realign the people to, so that they are able to cope with the ramifications of this uh, pandemic. Mm. So, Roger, if I'm hearing Mr. Tsengalumbe right here, it appears it's a one-track flow of information. And you have rightly put it because even here, uh, this part of the world where we are, we are not just hearing from the president or the vice president. We are hearing from the health people. We are hearing from the business people, like you are saying. Are you telling us, Mr. Tsengalumbe, that in the Zambian scenario, you are only hearing from the government, no health official or expert, no business sector is addressing the situation. Is that the, the way it is? That, that's exactly the point, uh, which is a problem. Uh, in an environment where you have a multi-sexual approach, you actually have business houses donating certain things directly to the community. Yes. But the way things are arranged, it's like all the donations are coming into government, and we, don't, we actually don't even see them going back to the community. In your environment, you can see business houses interacting with government in certain instances, but mostly you, you'll be shown some of the things they're doing directly with the community, because that's where the problem is. So uh, as you, 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 you put it, it is a one-track flow of information, that is one. And then secondly, because it's not multi-sectoral, because uh, mm-hmm. you can't handle the entire economy with one approach. If you talk about transporters of goods and services, I mean, sorry, of uh, transporters, basically, that's one sector. Yes. You need to engage that sector in order to understand their peculiar in, uh, situation in terms of moving goods in and out of the country, what's, what impact it's going to have. And you're going to have to deal with them from their perspective. They have to give you an input. Then you as government adjust to that input because you have a global picture. So in this instance, every time when we had the Prime TV, for instance, which I'm sure you know has been closed or the license mm-hmm. has been withdrawn, when we had Prime TV, they would give you a perspective of what's happening in different sectors. Now, when, you, when we look at the, 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 the public broadcast, the public broadcaster is giving you simply the government position, what the government wants you to hear. But in the meantime, you are now dependent on rumors from different sections because nobody seems to have the correct information. And that is very inimical to a nation in, in, in a situation like this because when we talk of uh, the COVID uh, pandemic, 
We are basically yes. at war with with uh, the, the, the virus. That's in true. In this instance, uh, WHO is actually, uh, I think the director general did mention, did indicate that let us try not to politicize this particular uh, pandemic. Meaning, let's take, let's put politics aside. Let's come together mm-hmm. as nations, as people and work together in one direction so that we defeat this problem. And then our problems don't end there. We also have a problem of the post-COVID era. How yes. we are going to survive? Because definitely everybody will have to adjust. We are moving from one level of existence as a, a humanity to another level of existence. So we have to work together. Now, when we come in our localized environment, you have an unfortunate situation in that being starved of information, it's like your own government is, is also part of your enemy because they are withholding so much from you that you really don't know how to react. So um, I think we, we do have a, a situation here because the actual governmental approach is dealing mainly with the health factor in terms of the pandemic. But the, yeah. the pandemic has about has three, has three facets. You've got the, the health factor is the physical side. That's just one aspect. There is the mm-hmm. psychological, mental side of it. Uh, uh, what's the third one now? Uh, we've got the physical, uh, the psychological and mental. And then uh, we also have to deal with the spiritual. We can't forget yeah. that one out because the spiritual is very important. Um, as such, we are dealing with one aspect, which is just the health, the physical side. The mm. psychological and mental health of the people, the spiritual side, is totally ignored. And so basically, as a nation, you'd be saying to yourselves, we are unprepared for the next stage of this pandemic, meaning when this whole thing is over, you have mentioned one component of our economic activity, Mr. Tsengalumbo, transportation or transporters. Most of the, yes. uh, what do you call it, our business is done through the road, by road, so to speak. Public, uh, the movement of workers or people from one point to another, the trucking industry which moves the goods from one point to another. Uh, there is a video, I don't know whether you saw it, which went viral, where they were showing yeah. what, has, what has been set up at Kenneth Kaunda International Airport. Well, well and good, that's fantastic, we appreciate that. Now, how are things at other points of entry, the borders, you know, Chirundu, Kasumbalesa, all those places? How is the situation in, in those areas? The last information we had was from Prime TV, perhaps one of the reasons <laughs> that they were shut down. Um, <laughs> they had actually shown uh, truck drivers in Livingston who were quarantined. They, they were said, said to be quarantined. They were confined mm-hmm. to one area. Now, this confinement was basically what you call confinement of the trucks. But the actual drivers themselves, um, because nothing was happening, uh, they were not being uh, checked. They were not being uh, treated. They were now loitering into town to go and look oh. for food and so on. And because they, 
Yeah, so what was the actually quarantined were the trucks. Uh, they, they were sprayed and so on. But the actual drivers were all over the place, walking around and so on and so forth. So there was, there was very little information, but we could extrapolate from what we were seeing there that this is happening at all the borders because Zambia is a landlocked country and we, yes. de we depend on road transport. So one would have expected that the emphasis would have been on borders as opposed to even KK International Airport because there... That's true. Uh, the problem was, was, was minor in the sense that uh, even the countries of origin where the, the, the flights were coming from were also closing down their airports. So the actual problem we had was on the, the, the borders, the borders uh, uh, with our neighboring countries. So there, so. Is, there is very little information, and I must say that the last information I saw was about this uh, unfortunate situation that happened in Livingston. Oh my God! <laughs> oh my! So it, well, it, 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 it. go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that uh, that was the last information at the time. Prime TV was it's still operating. Okay. So what has happened since? I, 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 we have no information. So as I said, there's just nowhere you can get information apart from social media. I must say. Okay, so now there are many reasons uh, everybody listening why Prime TV was uh, shut down. <laughs> We've got, uh, uh, oh my God. Let, let me ask you this question, then my colleagues, uh, they want to jump in as well. There's a lot of things you are, you are floating here, to, so to speak. Uh, our economy, I, I don't know what they have done with the markets, the public uh, areas of trading. Uh, it, those are very densely populated p uh, places high volumes of human traffic. Yeah. Uh, what is the situation with the, with the markets? Other, trade, uh, and other traders are uh, across the nation. You know that if you send them home, you are sending them home to starve. Uh, if you keep them in the market, yeah. that's, a, that's a high, high area or place for infection. Uh, what has been done in those areas? Well, basically for the markets, it's business as usual. Um, nothing has really changed. The people are aware that there is an issue about uh, COVID-19, uh, but when you speak to them, uh, they, they do speak like the, it's an issue for other countries because their social distancing is uh, hardly observed. And uh, as you rightly put it, it's, uh, it's a matter of survival uh, per day that people mm -hmm. are still going to the market. Um, what should have been done? Uh, perhaps that's what I should really focus on. Yes. Um, yeah, what, what should have been done really is what you're seeing in other countries where you have military and uh, police personnel who are sent out to gently start sensitizing them on certain issues relating to this particular problem. And um, the, the presence of police and SWAFs, if, if necessary, the military, sends a signal to the people that there is something serious and this is a war. And they, mm -hmm. they need to be coerced into participating to create a willingness from the people to start responding to the instructions that, that are being given. 
But if you walk to any market in uh, any of the major markets, you will find the business is uh, as usual. People are clustered together. And um, wow. one would tend to worry. But also the other thing is that uh, even the face masks that are recommended, um, yes. a lot of the people cannot afford. Uh, mm. But not to, say, not to say that they cannot buy them because some of the marketeers actually have a lot of money. There is a huge economy operating in those markets. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a question of sensitization to the point that the people take responsibility themselves. Because there is, you can't always just say the government will bring the masks. But if you get, um, uh, you sensitize the people and you get a willingness from the people, then you will have a situation whereby they will start creating their own precautions. It's not always about enforcement from government, but you get a, a, a sense of cooperation from the people. Then you will start moving at tandem with the people. So uh, as the situation stands now, the markets and the business and the social distancing aspect are, are not being observed. Hmm. We, we, we are in big trouble. Uh, <laughs> you are listening to Zander Block Talk Radio, our guest uh, this morning and this afternoon, those of you in the Europe and Africa regions and evening, those in the Western Pacific is Mr. Branchi Sengalumbo, is the president of the United Front for Strong Foundation. We are discussing uh, governance in the COVID pandemic uh, uh, scenario. Mm, I don't know if my colleague wants to come in here at this point. I can, uh, we, I can ask a, a, a few more questions. Those of you who are calling... question. Yes. Big question, Nathan. Go ahead. Yeah. That's uh, my colleague welcome. in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, welcome, uh, I I had a meeting with you when I came to Zambia, one of Thank my you. trips. Kukuru uh, Saka Golf Club there. I don't know if you can remember. It's been, I think, oh, four years yes. ago. Oh, yeah. I remember. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. Yes, thank you. Uh, according to the projections, Remo, yeah. uh, right now, it seems the things are not that bad. Um but all the uh, scientists are saying this thing is yet to, to hit Africa. And they are expecting about uh, 300 million or 300,000 uh, people uh, will probably die in, in Africa. My question is, uh, uh, yeah, things are political, uh, are always politicized in, in Africa. Uh, but is there any yeah. room uh, for uh, people like yourselves who seem to understand, who, think, who seem to think properly, uh, to talk to, first and foremost, our own government to come together and say, Rane, danger is yet to, uh, to come. Is, is there any room, is there any opportunity uh, for, for, for that discussion? Uh, absent of government, outside government, what's saying along what can we do, uh, yeah. parties like yourselves? Uh, what are you uh, doing to prepare for something bigger, actually, what uh, uh, the professionals are saying? Um, the, you know, the, until a few days ago, we actually were thinking that uh, we would be able to work together with government. Uh, 
you know, we have uh, we work under ZCID, which is a, a Zambia Center for Interparty Dialogue, and then uh, yes. that's where all the opposition parties are members. So we do have caucuses and meetings where we 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 find ways to engage, including with the ruling party it's a member. But what we've observed is that we have never been engaged or invited to come to any forum to discuss the situation and to have our input. Um, and of course, our input is based on also getting uh, the, 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 the information that government has so that we are operating at the same level. Now, that hasn't, that hasn't happened. But the most disappointing thing that has happened since, which has made us believe that this is all basically a campaign and it's been definitely politicized, is when we had party officials that now started making facial masks that are branded with the party, the party colors and the messages. Now, we thought that was the limit. That, that now indicates that really this whole exercise is not, is not a national exercise. It's actually a, a, a campaign. And this has been very, very disappointing because now this came from the Minister of Information who herself mm. said that if any other party has got uh, materials lying around which uh, they, can make, uh, they can make these... Uh, facial masks and start distributing to people. Now, political uh, uh, regalia is divisive in a nation because yes. uh, different people support different parties. And when you're having a nationalistic approach, you don't have time to start distinguishing which party you support. That is number one. Number two, the, the issue of uh, uh, medical medical kits, I mean, things like facial masks, they must be made in an environment which is uh, highly regulated for obvious reasons. And even the people making them must be people who have certain skills and know, know what they're doing, the purpose for those particular items. Now, these, where these things were being made, we do not know. But when we saw them being distributed on television by senior party members, they were literally being thrown to marketeers from a box. Now, without mm. when we realize that this is, this is not what we think. This is not a national event. Our friends have taken this as a, a, a partisan thing. This is a, a full-blown campaign program. They are already in an election mode. So the COVID-19 appears to have been an opportunity that has come at the right time. Now, this was the last straw for us because now how do you talk to a person who is campaigning? And you are coming mm. with nationalistic ideas. Obviously, you are operating at two different levels. So in terms of uh, preparing for the worst situation, we as uh, people in opposition, definitely we, we, we are not dependent on government. We have, especially with the benefit of social media, we are dealing directly with the people, speaking directly to the, with the people. But obviously, without the instruments of governance. Our impact is very, very limited. And with this arrangement of the controlled media, it has left us really very helpless in that there are very little alternatives for you to express yourself. 
But the only good thing that is happening is that um, I think the people themselves are wise enough to gauge the situation. And uh, mm. if, from the little information that's available, they are able to piece together. And uh, we're able to work together and try and do the little we can do under the prevailing situation. Mm. No, that is uh, that very is, encouraging. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, you've tackled it well. Actually, Nathan thinks I was uh, talking to you last night because he thought uh, everyone should have, should just do this by themselves. And I was of your view. Uh, you can testify here. <laughs> so thank you for, for that eloquent. Yeah. Uh, I, I just need to, to repent. I'll inform Mr. Tsengarumbo where this is coming from. One of the issues that you have highlighted, La Brian, uh, the various aspects of the effects of health, psychological, mental, physical, spiritual. Um, one of the com- I was talking to one of the, our former colleagues, our former colleagues at this, and I asked him, I said, I did see the letter that the public relations manager wrote about the offices being closed. So I asked him a question. I said, so yeah. are you guys still going to be on the payroll or something like that? He just laughed. He didn't yeah. answer the question. So my question to you is, is there a, an understanding, a formal arrangement, a directing from the government of Zambia to employers to say people have to be sent home, but these are the arrangements you need to make concerning their remuneration. Do we have any, what's happening in that area? Um, the Minister of Labor appeared on uh, the national broadcaster ZNBC mm-hmm. and stipulated that the law, the law requires employers to pay people while they are uh, during the period they are, they are at home. Yes. Now, yeah, that is, uh, yeah. However, when you go into the economy, the reality is that. Um, in a depressed economy like ours, the, the businesses are, are not thriving in the sense that uh, not many businesses would have reserves uh, mm-hmm. to be able to pay workers without an income coming in. So when you have such a law, then there is a, more, a superior law, which, which is a godly law, which is called force majeure, which says if as a result of something that happens because of beyond the human uh, capacity, that is uh, an act of God, then obviously, if, even if you have such a law, it actually falls off because what are, people, what are businesses going to pay people, those that have no money in reserve? That's true. So really, the, the, way, the way it should have been handled by government was perhaps makes reference to that law. But however, as I said, when you engage the public, and instead of telling people what you want them to do, let them tell you how they feel about it. So if you go sector by sector, you will find in the insurance industry and the banking industry, they may be sitting on a lot of reserves. The way they will handle it is totally different. When you go to other sectors, agriculture, the way they will handle it is different. So you cannot sit in one position and make one statement and think it will apply to everybody. 
So you have to solicit the empathy of the employer to be yes. able to cushion the employees for as long as possible because the other factor is that you do not know the duration of this whole particular pandemic. Therefore, even if you issued such an instruction, some employer will manage the first month, others fail the second, and so on. So you have a situation whereby you all must work as a team, the employees, the employers, because even the employees have a duty to, mm. to use the, their, their initiative. What COVID-19 uh, is doing to humanity is saying, rethink your existence. Yes. So if your employer sends you away, it's not your duty to just go and sit at home and say, all right, I've been sent away, and uh, there's nothing I can do. Maybe there are other alternatives. Artists are using other mediums now to try and pull in a little bit of cash here and there. And then uh, here in Zambia, we are not only in, a, in a complete uh, lockdown. So meaning people are still able to get around and do one or two things. So That's right. Yeah, um, we, did ha we did have, in summary, we did have a statement from the Minister of uh, Labor, but that statement was simply made and said, this will apply across the whole economy. And, you know, in Zambia, we, we have uh, a lot of domestic workers that, uh, who work in homes. That's now, mm -hmm. If you've sent the employer, if, if he's also been sent home, what is he going to do with his domestic worker? He may survive, manage to pay for the first month. The second month then won't happen. So it was, it's a, it's a pro process which could have been handled better by engaging the various sectors, as I keep repeating, by engaging the various sectors and then partnering with the communities, the various uh, uh, communities to be able to handle such things. And uh, if I may emphasize again, the, the, the idea of, partnership with various stakeholders. If you look yes. at the churches, for instance, the churches have networks throughout the country. In every village, there is a church. So if you mm -hmm. want to communicate any information effectively, the church is one of the best tools. The second best tool are NGOs. They are everywhere. So even though government is everywhere, they, they each have a way of, of engaging communities. They're all doing different things. So you need to get these people on board. They need to have the information government has to be effective where, wherever they are. So, yes, government uh, has made a statement on uh, the labor laws. But here, as I said, we are dealing with force majeure, which is the act of God. So it's beyond everybody. So we have to manage each situation as it arises. Mm. So I think that, that would be my answer on that. Okay. That, that, I'm sure it's clear. Everybody listening surely does understand that and the way uh, things generally operate in Zambia, so to speak. Uh, you've also alluded to the aspect of COVID-19. I mean, our lives are not going to be the same. One of the sectors that has been greatly affected by this, uh, Mr. Tsengalumbo, is the education sector uh probably instead of us dwelling on whether the government is put something in place now for the kids maybe let's address the question to say what would you recommend 
as a as a leader in the nation uh how we should get around this should something like this happen again um obviously the starting point is the budget yes uh, how much have we have we allocated to education in the past 5 years we are operating about uh, 11% of budget with this obviously with this scenario it tells you that it's highly inadequate and uh, when you say highly inadequate and i would like to also come back to to you and say even when you mention education you may be thinking of the urban areas you sata copper you have to look at the whole country and see the levels of education in those areas these yeah. are areas where you have uh, you hardly have desks uh, hardly have books and so on and in your budget you have 11% and then you have you are spending probably 60% on infrastructure development so you are you are building infrastructure and you are not building people so you've got to reverse that you've got to start building the people so the first point of call to react to or rather to prepare for a future crisis is a higher investment in education um and when you talk about education today you are you are really talking about e-learning you got to take mm-hmm. ICT back to the schools and that's what they have to start doing now this is a challenge because over the years the different governments that have come in have not dealt with this issue in a in a very serious manner um mm-hmm. i may be speaking in a, in a vacuum uh, until you start using comparison if you look at the rwanda scenario and the investment in education the investment in ict the the the, the things they've done in the village it's not the infrastructure that matters the things they've been mm. able to take into the village in terms of quality education rwanda today is dealing far much better than we are because of the investment that is it's put in so there will be no need to reinvent the wheel it's just a question mm-hmm. of copy and paste and we start moving forward what you need is political will vision planning and strategy which we don't have right now yeah but it is, may it... i bring in the issue of ag- ag- agriculture is the most exciting matter agriculture mm-hmm. is the most exciting in the sense that uh when you look at uh, uh covid-19 and the impact it has we have a partial lockdown where restaurants gyms uh hotels lodges whatever have been closed and these workers have been sent home so really post covid-19 what's going to happen after this is that these businesses will not reengage all those people immediately So what you're going to have is that if we are operating at 70% unemployment after covid we are moving to 85 to 90%. Okay? So mm-hmm. what are we going to do with all these people that will be sitting in the urban areas because that's where the biggest problem is. They will be yes. sitting in the urban areas. And a simple question would be so are we after covid going to be able to create more employment it will not be possible because even government income would have reduced it would have dwindled what other asset do you have it's the land and with the land what you are looking for is people must first 
begin to survive. They must be able to eat. So me, meaning, whatever we do, we have to start with agriculture. This has been a, has been a song since independence. It has never yeah, been taken seriously. Yeah, so mm. that is the only solution to decongest the high-density areas in the urban areas. But this program, it is not just about moving people. You have to have the resources to then find lands. They are... Their, 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 their beginnings on the land, they would have to be financed. And uh, whichever way you look at it, if you are going to help the youth that are going to be roaming around, you, you, the solution is agriculture and the land. There is no other way we are going to create any addition. If you don't do anything about it, what is going to happen is crime and criminality is going to increase. The, t- the situation is going to get far much worse instead of getting better. So basically what's going to happen is that those countries that do not have a plan and a vision for post-COVID, those countries are going to sink into a, a deeper into an abyss. Those countries with a plan are going to, to start rising steadily. And uh, basically it's, with, it, 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 it's, it's, it's referring to leadership and unity of purpose. And uh, this is what we are saying about in Zambia, that we need to get together and put our heads together to get out mm-hmm. of this situation. Yeah, so really, where you, education is a good point. is always there. But the immediate problem we have is to deal with unemployment. It's going to be a crisis. And the, the only asset we will have is the land. We have to get people to get back to the land and survive and eat day by day. Because three, four months from now, six months from now, the businesses that employed most people will not be there. Hmm. You have, you have, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, 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 I think my point is made in, in terms of agriculture and education. And education, yeah, very well, well, very well put, actually. And I, I, I hope our leaders, uh, uh, I know they do listen to us, like we always say, they, they, they are thinking in those lines. You've raised a big, a big one here in your answer, Mr. Tsengalungba, budget. And uh, one of the things that I mentioned to you was, uh, obviously, since Zambia is not on a complete lockdown, there's local travel going on. I mean, I saw one minister making a trip somewhere on, on social media. Obviously, there is, uh, in the budget, they also put, there is an allocation for international travel, local travel. As it is, there is no international travel. I mean, it's, it's not a secret. Our president and his delegation and his ministers, they travel quite a bit. I don't know what happens. Maybe the accountants can, can, you can help us here in reasoning with this point. Uh, some of these things are not complicated. They are rocket science. Uh, the accountants can. So what happens when funds for the, the, the financial year or that year, the money allocated to travel is not used? Can't they divert those funds to the areas of need, great need? A very good point, Nathan. Uh, um, uh, I think the best way to look at that, you picked uh, international travel, too. There is a provision in the budget, and there's quite a substantial one, not only 
for presidential trips, but right across the, the government. But mm-hmm. um, here, I think the, be- the best way to look at it is that uh, uh, the fight against COVID-19 is multi-sectoral, okay? So the multi-sectoral in the sense that you have to be fighting it from different angles at the same time. For instance, you have all these ministries. You've got the Minister of Finance, Agriculture, Education. Each, each one is like a general. He must be commanding a vision of his own. So if you come to the Minister of Finance, the savings, well, let's put it this way, not only the savings, but the productivity levels in government have reduced. So if you're going to make savings in terms of government, you're not going mm-hmm. to look at one issue, for instance, like the presidential expenses and whatever, or international travel. You've got to look at the entire government budget and say, what savings are we going to make? What is, yes. what is no longer relevant? What is no longer happening? And then you start conglomerating those funds. As I said, there are areas like agriculture which are futuristic. Okay? If you don't start doing anything now, nothing will happen one year, six months from now, or two years. You've got, you've got to start preparing the finances for what you're going to do. So you have to look at really uh, the Minister of Finance and the entire government budget in terms of expenditure. And uh, our government uh, uh, expenses, uh, recurrent expenses, that is the administrative expenses, um, yes. that's the but maybe about 55%, if I'm not mistaken, a substantial part of the budget. So it's wow. a lot. And the productivity level in government has reduced so much that certain units are not even functioning. So there will be no need to purchase uh, more things for those units, and uh, uh, some people may need to be sent home because if they stay in offices, they're going to increase their government bills. So there is a a very good point you brought up here, is that the Minister of Finance himself must reorganize the entire government budget in such a way that where they are saving, these monies must be mopped up because you, your needs now are so different. Uh, you're talking about uh, these facial masks for the people that is in health, uh, uh, cleaning up, buying more detergents, which were not originally on your budget. But this time you have to create, create a provision. So your point is very valid that basically the whole budget has to be revisited and the productivity mm. levels in government must, must be measured and things that are not productive anymore. Some of the government employees should not even be reporting for work because they become a cost. It's either they are doing something or they all go and sit at home or, like everybody else, maybe they go and have pay. So we have to be very fair with the situation. We've got to be very firm with it. So you have a very valid point that the entire budget has to be revisited. That budget made certain assumptions, and all the assumptions, three quarters, have been thrown out. So we have to revisit uh-huh. that, that whole situation so that we can now start looking at things from a totally different perspective. Mm. Before we cannot end this discussion, Mr. Tsengalombo, without talking about two important issues that uh, have been a thorn in the flesh in our, de- in our democracy in the nation. Um, one aspect to which continues to suffer abuse by our politicians 
uh, civil liberties and freedoms yeah. of the citizens, freedom of expression, assembly. They say we are able to do anything, but uh, some polit the opposition cannot hold the right, or people cannot do whatever or say whatever they want to do. Um, you have alluded to prime television being closed down. That's, that's the most recent thing. We have also witnessed one of Zambia's respected constitutional lawyers being banned from practicing or appearing before any courts. Why, why do you think our political leaders have such absolute disregard for the rule of law? Where is the problem? Um, it's very simple, uh, Nathan. Um, what you're talking about is simple that our politics lack morality. Mm. When you say politics lack morality, when you use the word morality, the custodians of the moral values of society is the church. So the church has got the numbers because they actually the politician reacts to a vote. If he is violating your rights and you still vote in him, you increase the violation. Mm. If you withdraw the vote, he that will be the end of those violations. Now, the Bible is very clear about the me mechanics of life. In the mechanics of life, there is a shepherd, which is the church, and there is a sheep. The sheep is the citizen. The citizen is gullible, is naive, uh, and in our environment, most citizens are, are illiterate, well, some are, are basically just ignorant of certain things, but the Bible refers to a shepherd who will be able to guide the sheep, meaning that the church has, has never used its strength to shift the politics of the country to on to a moral pedestal. It has mm. not made a position as to what the church does not like. Because if the church is very clear what it does not like, it will tell the citizen that don't vote for anybody who does this, 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 who gives you facial masks, who gives you T-shirts, because an election is about uh, the well-being of people. You're going to talk about food, you're talking about shelter, you're talking about... But our elections have been reduced to distributing T-shirts and chipenge, and that's, that's what makes the people decide who to vote for. So when you talk about violation, the, the next step is that the politician will continue violating your rights as long as you keep voting in So we have the church in the middle. The church has got to engage politics, meaning it engages its members and says, according to God's principles, you should not be exploited. So don't vote for anyone who does the following, who mm -hmm. uses malicious language, who does this, 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 this. Because when they say that, the church covers the whole country. The citizens... We have the intellectuals and the whatever, the, the educated, the rich, the elite. This group of people have also been brainwashed into operating around tribe. So the politician is sitting pretty because he doesn't need to change because he knows his tribesmen will still follow. They don't have anywhere to go. So we need mm. a new political dispensation. But the church has a very strong role. Then the, the educated and the elite must also start coming together to fight this particular problem because the problem now is not the colonialist. The problem is not a person with a white skin. The problem is a person with a black skin with no morals. 
So if the moral Trump card is the one we're going to use in an election, we will start gravitating together. 1 Corinthians verse 1, uh, verse 1, chapter 10, says, if you profess or come to the same understanding, your judgment will be the same. Meaning even the elite, mm-hmm. although they go to church, they are not of the same understanding of when they go into politics. They leave God's values outside the voting booth and pick up these values they've been taught by the politicians, and those are the ones they use to vote. So when we talk about the nation going forward, it's a democracy. It will have to be people voting for morals. And the parties that are immoral, it's very clear, because when you calculate what causes this problem, there is political violence. There is tribalism. There is distribution of pieces and vitenges and other party regalia. These are major determinants, which then leaves very little room for ideas in terms of elections. So as we sit as Zambia today, going into the next election, it is not about manifesto, because any group of thieves, any group of immoral people can write a very good manifesto. The problem we have in Zambia and in Africa is morality, it's just one word, morals and moral character. We deal with that and we have solved our problem because the first thing is you put moral leaders into office, they will listen. That's the starting point. And so even the formation of our party, we are pursuing a moral agenda that for us, we are singing the same song. The next election is not about manifestos because mm. Manifesto, yes, we have a manifesto, but the problem the country has is simply one, morals. And that's everything you talked about, civil liberties, freedom of speech, all these have been taken away by political leaders who've been allowed to operate outside the minimum acceptable moral standards. That's what I can say for now, Nathan. Okay. I think in your in the one word moral you have addressed the issue of tribalism, which I was going to be my next question and everything else. That's just it. Uh, let me ask you this yeah. one question as we conclude. Going into twenty twenty one, general elections, you know there's always there's this yeah. idea of forming one alliance of all political parties. Do you support that idea yeah. or are you going to endorse uh, are you going to start, or you are going to endorse a particular candidate? Um, <clears throat> the first position is that of saying the mere formation of our party was not an academic ex- exercise. We have a complete vision for the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is step one. So, meaning that if nothing else changes, I, uh, we, are, we, are going to, we are going to put a candidate, we are going to float a candidate as a party. Okay. Now, remember, the party is a, the party is an institution. I, you know me as the, the president. I, I am, I'm actually not the party. To register a party, you need minimum of 10 people. So everything I say is we. We intend to float candidates. However, we do recognize one thing, that um, uh, the people have been crying for an alliance of political yes. actions, which means that uh, they are saying, you are confusing us. You are too many of you, right? 
So mm-hmm. we are basically pursuing an agenda that the people of Zambia need a third option. There is, of course, the ruling party. There is a major opposition party, which if we okay. didn't have a problem with the major opposition party, in terms of their ideology, we would have joined them. But of course, we are also not comfortable with how they approach things. Therefore, we set up a party. But the third option requires an alliance of political parties, all the other players together. Perhaps leaving us alone coming in, we may be too small, but we are now working towards coming together with other political parties uh, to form an alliance in response to what the people have said. Okay. So in that regard, we leave, we leave the idea of the presidential position to the members of that alliance what we will come up with. Now, Nathan, I must tell you this, that uh, in Israel, Israel was defeated continuously because they could not get, the 12 tribes of Israel could not come together. Mm. We are very cognizant of the fact that these different political parties, we have differences. And we are working, we've already started, by the way, we are speaking to different political parties that are non-aligned to the other two parties. We are speaking to them because we have different ideologies, thoughts, and approaches. The only thing yes. we are looking for is those political parties that are independent, who feel okay. that the two other parties are not, are not providing completely the solution for Zambia. So I think my answer to that is yes, we intend to float a candidate, but at the same time, we are cognizant of the fact that the Zambian people keep calling for the, an alliance of political parties. So mm. we are already working on that one. Okay, excellent. Mr. Tsengalumbwe, thank you for taking the time. I just want you to know that I do cherish our time together at Zambia State, and I'm a great admirer of your leadership style and the way you transformed that department when we're together. Uh, most appreciated, Matt, and I'm so, exci- so excited to reconnect with you. And um, I'm most grateful uh, for this pleasure to be on your program. And I think I, I have cherished it so much, especially coming from you and uh, our history. Thank you very much, yes. uh, Nathan, and uh, thank you very much to the listeners. Excellent. Everybody, that was our show for today. Mr. Brant Sengalumba, President, United Front for a Strong Foundation. We're discussing democracy in COVID. Let's go back in for open forum with my friend in Canada. Something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. 
Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.